the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. They know that there's the advent of uh, the coming of Christ as the Messiah, not just once, but also twice, because Old Testament scriptures bear that out, uh, as well as what we read in the New Testament. So they understood that there's going to be the time of his coming, and the coming into his kingdom in, in the fullness of his reign, because this particular time that he comes is for the death, for the sacrifice, for the sins of the world. But there's going to be a time that he comes again to rule and reign. That's the second coming. While Jesus lived on earth, his disciples had many questions for him. Some he answered with parables. Some he answered directly. And some he alluded to future events that were still to come. As Pastor Gary discusses today through the pages of Matthew, Jesus' disciples realized that they were living in the time of the first coming. They knew he would come again according to past prophecies. Why Jesus didn't explicitly describe his second coming, we won't know until we get to ask him face to face. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. When you look through Matthew, chapter 24, as we're going to do tonight, and we'll see how far we get. Perhaps we'll get through all of it, maybe not. But uh, what I'm going to point out from this 24th chapter are 12 signs of the times leading up to and including his second coming. Now, everything that Jesus says here in chapter 24 is not necessarily in chronological order. And there's even some extra points after the 12 that I'm going to give you. We'll see throughout chapter 24 some other events that are not necessarily in chronological order. But as he gives it to us, uh, starting here in verse 1, up to and including his actual coming back to the earth, uh, I've enumerated 12. Now, you can parse it out however you want. You might get more than this, and I've kind of doubled some of these points in particular. I've even drawn one from Luke's gospel to kind of round out the, uh, the full idea of what Jesus is communicating both in Matthew 24 and Luke 21. You can also use Luke 21 as a parallel chapter, and you can kind of compare back and forth and, and see how uh, what Jesus says concerning the end-time events. Uh, much of it overlaps, but there are a couple of things that are distinct to each of these two Gospels. But here in Matthew chapter 24, again, the scene is that this is the Passover feast, Jesus is in Jerusalem. This is the last Passover that he will partake with his disciples before he is crucified. 
and is common for Jesus and his disciples and for all those who come to Jerusalem for the Passover feast to go into the city of Jerusalem to the temple area, to the temple courts during the daytime. But at nighttime, you're going to find lodging in the nearby hillsides or you're going to go out beyond in the region of Bethany or, or uh, Bethphage, Bethphage, and uh, find lodging. Now, in the case of Jesus, he would typically find lodging in the Mount of Olives. Uh, which would just simply be living out under the stars, under the trees of the Mount of Olives. That was uh, a hillside just directly east of the city of Jerusalem. And the only thing separating the Mount of Olives from the old city was the Kidron Valley. So it's just a short walk, less than a half a mile from the Mount of Olives to the old city of Jerusalem. And as you look through these closing few chapters of Matthew, we see that Jesus will uh, go into Jerusalem, the first uh, time of the last Passover was on the back of a donkey for what we call Palm Sunday. And then uh, every day he, he, he uh, teaches at the temple courts. Then in the evening he goes to the Mount of Olives, comes back, teaches at the temple courts, goes back in the evening, sleeps at the Mount of Olives. So we're coming now into a couple of days uh, during this feast of Passover. And Jesus is going to, he's leaving at the end of chapter 23. He's leaving the temple courts after a day of teaching. And they're getting out to the Mount of Olives, he with his 12 disciples. And it'll it'll be there that his disciples will ask him, what about the signs of the times of your coming? Now, they already anticipate that he's coming again. Uh, They know that there's the advent of uh, the coming of Christ as the Messiah, not just once, but also twice, because Old Testament scriptures bear that out. Uh, as well as what we read in the New Testament. So they understood that there's going to be the time of his coming and the coming into his kingdom in, in the fullness of his reign. Because this particular time that he comes is for the death, for the sacrifice, for the sins of the world. But there's going to be a time that he comes again to rule and reign. That's his second coming. And that's what they're going to ask him about. So I want you to picture kind of it's uh, starting to draw near to evening. It's after a long day of teaching and fellowshipping around the temple courts. They cross the Kidron Valley. They go to the Mount of Olives where they're going to sleep for the night. And Jesus has this kind of intimate conversation with his 12 disciples, just this, their own little study time with Jesus concerning end time events. And, and so this is what we read here, starting at verse 1. It says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. Jesus asks his disciples. I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And we talked last week about how this, this was fulfilled in 70 A.D., so uh, this, when Jesus is addressing his disciples, this is about 33 A.D., and so less than 40 years later, uh, this, what Jesus says here, will come to pass. The Romans will besiege Jerusalem under Titus Vespasian. They will completely ransack the temple. They, were o- they will overturn the stones that the temple was built with. They will dismantle the temple, throw it to the ground below. And even today when we go to Israel, we see... Uh, those stones that are still left untouched as a reminder of the devastation that happened in 70 A.D. Some of those stones were quarried more than 40 feet long, and they, uh, the average weight of a lot of these stones that built up the foundation of the Temple Mount, because remember, this is Mount Moriah. It's built on a hill, on a small mountain, a small hill. And in order to get a flat courtyard, they had to build up one end of it. And so under Herod, from about 19 B.C., until about 63 A.D., almost 80 years, 
he improved the beauty of the temple court area and rebuilt the temple. And it was something that he expounded upon after Ezra and Nehemiah had built the temple. And, uh, and so over a course of 80 years, he dumped a lot of money and, and a lot of slave labor force into building up the temple area. And some of these stones, they don't even know how they moved them and how they had the know-how and the ingenuity to be able to lay these stones as they did. But the average weight of these stones, 25 tons, there's one stone that is believed to be weighing over 600 tons. They have no idea how they laid these stones in complete uniformity that still you can see that make up the western wall that is part of the foundation leveling part of the temple court area. Well, Jesus prophesied that those stones would be thrown, uh, thrown down and uh, the temple area dismantled and that happened in 70 A.D. And so then they crossed the Kidron Valley, verse 3. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, Jesus answers the second question. They really have two questions there. When will the destruction happen? And then the second question is, what will be the sign of the end of the age and the time of your coming? And he really only specifically answers the second question with all of this list that we're going to find here in chapter 24. And so in verse 4, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, just in those verses I read, we'll pause there for a moment. Just in those verses I read, we see nine signs of the end times. Nine. And so I've enumerated these uh, for those of you who like to take notes. And the first one is the deception by false Christs and prophets. Uh, Jesus predicts this in verse 4. Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ. He repeats it in verse 11. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And actually even also down in verse 24. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible. So, The idea of false Christ, false doctrine, uh, false prophets emerging on the scene more and more around the world as we get closer to the second coming of Christ. When you look at the advancement of cults, when you look at the the, uh, false doctrine that is making grounds around the world, uh, we count among them uh, Mormonism. Mormonism is the fastest growing faith in 26 states out of the 50 United States. The fastest growing. Islam is second to Mormonism in the United States. Muslims experienced a growth of 1 million to the faith in 197 new counties 
uh, just within the last year to a total of about 2.6 million in the United States. Overall, non-Christian groups grew by 32% over the past decade. Last year alone, the Mormon Church sent out almost 60,000 missionaries to 120 countries where they won 306,000 converts last year alone. Uh, Jehovah's, uh, the worldwide membership for Mormonism is a little over 14.5 million. Jehovah's Witnesses, they boast a membership of 19 million around the world. And uh, over the last 10 years, Jehovah's Witnesses published 20 billion pieces of literature to advance uh, their cause around the world. 20 billion pieces of literature in the last 10 years. Now, when we think of specifically false Christs and false prophets, uh, those of you who have uh, been around since the 70s may remember uh, the cover of Time magazine, uh, Cult of Death, which was a recording of what happened in the Jonestown massacre under the false prophet Jim Jones, became the cover story of Time magazine in 1978, when on November the 18th, 1978, 909 people, it's considered one of the largest mass suicides that occurred, 909 people, which included 303 children, drank Kool-Aid laced with cyanide and died because they followed this guy, Jim Jones. Now, Jim Jones started out as a preacher in Indiana. He moved his ministry to San Francisco and from there to Guyana on the northern coast of South America. And he had a large following, and he ended up uh, communicating to his followers in gradual, progressive inoculations of false doctrine, starting out first by wanting to be called Father, and then wanting to be called Christ, and then wanting to be called Messiah. And he had a large follower of people who just were completely engrossed in the cult, and they followed him to their death. And there was an investigation by Congress. There was a U.S. congressman who went to investigate, and he was killed in Guyana. Uh, the first and only time that a U.S. congressman has been killed in, in active service to our country. And, uh, and it was all because of this guy and the People's Temple, which ended up becoming a large cult following. Uh, but they all ended up dying to their death. When, when Jones realized that, that uh, there was this investigation into human trafficking and, and, uh, and the way that he was running his cult, uh, then he told his congregation, everybody drink the Kool-Aid. He was found dead himself with a bullet in his head, and they still don't know to this day whether it was self-inflicted or whether he was killed by one of his followers who then turned and killed themselves by drinking the Kool-Aid with cyanide. So this is the kind of thing that has happened. And more recently, of course, here's another cover of Time magazine, a Tragedy in Waco. Those of you from the 90s will remember this. In 1993, this guy by the name of David Koresh, who uh, purported to also be the Messiah, had a large compound in Waco, Texas, uh, until uh, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms moved in under the federal uh, um, guidance of then Attorney General Janet Reno, and uh, the compound was seized, caught on fire. An investigation that was done in 2000 said that the people within the compound set the fire. It was very controversial as to did the government uh, burn the place, did the people within the cult set, the, and so in a final conclusion, at least by an investigation done in 2000, was that it was set from within, but 83 people died following this guy who used uh, sex as a way to marry all the women 
in his compound, including underaged girls, and uh, he proclaimed himself to be the Christ. Uh, His name was not really David Koresh. He was born Vernon Wayne Howell, but I suppose if you want to be a false prophet, that doesn't sound very fancy. So uh, who wants to call him Vernon? And so we're going to call him David Koresh, and uh, the tragedy is 83 people died. Now, I don't want to put this next guy on the slide with these two, but I do want you to know that even still with this preoccupation of false Christs and false prophets, that uh, there was a Jewish guy who died in 1994 by the name of Menachem Mendel Schneerson, who is venerated by a lot of Jews today. He was a Hasidic rabbi who uh, had a synagogue in Brooklyn. He died at the age of 92. He had such a following by a lot of Jews that they believed him to be Messiah and still do. The picture on the right is as a picture of a poster that is throughout Israel even today when you go there. It's all over the place. And in Hebrew, it speaks about uh, Rabbi Schneerson as being the Messiah. And they believe that some do, obviously not all, uh, but a, a large number of Jews uh, believe that he is potentially Messiah and that he's going to come again. Now, to his credit, I will add that he did not want people to uh, view him and to speak of him as Messiah. And, as, and though he had this cult-like following, he continued to discourage them from referring to him as Messiah. So uh, that's why I don't want to put him on the slide with those other two guys, uh, because he had a different disposition about it. But nevertheless, the following that has ensued even since his death has been large. There are people who are always looking for Messiah, and they're missing the genuine Messiah, who is Jesus. And the problem with that is, obviously, it sets people up either for tragedy when they end up dying at the hands of Jim Jones or David Koresh, or they get disillusioned and disappointed because they put their faith and trust in someone who's not really Messiah. And Jesus said that Prior to my coming, there's going to be false Christs, there's going to be false messiahs, false prophets, people who are going to want to put their faith and trust in a Christ, in a messiah who is not really true. Well, back here in our text, you'll notice between verses 6 and 7 that Jesus also talks about wars and rumors of wars, uh, that that will be another indicator as we get closer to the return of Christ, the escalation of wars and rumors of wars. Here is a current map with Uh, military conflict going on around the world as of today, as of 2013. Uh, The countries highlighted in red uh, have current military conflicts going on, some of which is civil war. Of course, we know what's going on in Syria. And according to the uh, Secretary General of the UN, more than 100,000 people have been killed in the conflict in Syria. So it's a war. It might be a civil war, but it's a war. And you have other nations that are in conflict with each other. According to uh, the UN Resources for Speakers on Global Issues, more than 43 million people worldwide, 43 million people worldwide are now forcibly displaced as a result of conflict and persecution, the highest number since the mid-1990s. So we have more people that have been forcibly removed from their homes and dispossessed from their places where they lived uh, because of wars, and they have to escape the conflict in their own countries. Wars and rumors of wars is what Jesus said. We also noticed in verse 7, famine. Jesus spoke about famine as another sign of the end times. 
Um, According to this one article, the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization estimates that nearly 870 million people among the 7.1 billion on the globe, 870 million people in the world, or that's one in eight roughly, are malnourished or on the verge of starvation. One in eight. In Africa, it's even worse. It's one in four. Uh, People are on the verge of starvation all around the world. So when you think about the end times and what's going to happen, when you look at Revelation, particularly chapter 6 through 18, it won't take much when when the world goes into a cataclysmic disarray to push millions of people over the brim, over the brim into uh, death as a result of famine. In addition, in verse 7, Jesus talks about earthquakes. According to the U.S. Geological Survey, between 2002 and 2012, so roughly over the last 10 years, an estimated 792,226 people, almost 800,000 people worldwide, were killed by the direct result of an earthquake in the last 10 years. 800,000 people. In 2011, there were 130 magnitude 6 earthquakes or greater. In 2011, 130 magnitude 6 or greater, that is 30, that is four times greater than the average between 1973 and 2000. Between 1973 and 2000, there were only 30 earthquakes that were magnitude 6 or greater. But since the last, since 2011 alone, in that year alone, four times as many earthquakes, six on the magnitude six or greater, in one year, four times as many than from 1973 to the year 2000. So we're seeing an escalation of earthquakes. Uh, In addition, this is the one I threw in from Luke, because in Luke's gospel, it talks about Famine, earthquakes, and pestilence. Famine, earthquakes, and pestilence. So I threw this one in as well to kind of round out the whole idea of how pestilence, disease, is also something uh, that we should be aware of uh, as it relates to pestilence. I read this article just yesterday. Maybe some of you saw this article. The headline of the article was, Deadly Bacteria Responsible for Florida Man's Death. And the article reads this, Warm weather and coastal waters make Florida a prime location for deadly bacteria. These conditions contributed to an unusually high amount of bacterial infections this summer, including 26 cases of what's called Vibrio vulnificus, according to a report by the Daytona Beach News Journal. The bacteria, considered one of the most deadly in the world, recently caused the death of 59-year-old Henry uh, Konetsky. Konetsky contracted the bacteria after wading through the Halifax River with an open wound, similar to the brain-eating amoeba uh, Nigleria fowleri, which killed a 12-year-old boy in Florida earlier this year. The bacteria can be very deadly. Konetsky first noticed lesions in his leg hours after he came back from fishing. He arrived at the emergency room with his wife, but the bacteria had already spread. He died less than 48 hours after exposure as a result of kidney failure. And we're seeing these kind of superorganisms that are growing, that are resistant to antibiotics. Four years after penicillin was introduced on, under mass production, it already showed signs of resistance by bacteria. Four years after penicillin hit the mass market. And uh, we continue to see all kinds of bacteria. Uh, this was one article... 
uh, talked about how the bird flu to be used as a biological weapon. Uh, quote, National Science Advisory Board for Biosecurity Chairman Paul Keim, an anthrax expert, said, quote, I can't think of another pathogenic organism that is as scary as the bird flu. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person. That includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know